In the Wild West world of podcasting, there is one podcast that is authentic and genuine and continues to stand tall in its originality. Based on a passion for his guests, their work, and his love of podcasting, Derek Thomas and Monday Morning Critic Podcast get amazing, diverse, unique guests found nowhere else. The variety and quality are endless. There is something for everyone. Derek Thomas is the hero you deserve. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector. Welcome to Monday Morning Critic Podcast. Here is Derek Thomas. Uh, first, let me just say um, congrats on the birth of your son. That's exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yeah, spoiler alert. I may, uh, the the fatigue may be, have uh, some crazy rants. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if I go off, feel free to stop me. Yeah, we have a. Um... We have a four-month-old, so you and I oh, are kind of you in the get same. it. You yeah, get it. Okay. so that's why it, I do my interviews a little bit later at times because yeah. it's like after I put both kids down is like the. I mean, on rare occasions, if a guest ha- like if I'm dealing with somebody that's like overseas or something, and there's no other choice, then I can crowbar something in. But usually, I'm like a I'm like a vampire. The night is where I do my thing. No, I get it. I get it. It's totally about uh, timing for those those windows. How how has it changed right. your life, Trey? Oof, I mean, in every way. <laughs> I mean, he's a uh, he's a month old now, so we're still in the phase where it's just like every two three hours, it's that cycle. It's feed, sleep, a little bit of play, five minutes here and there, back to sleep, eat, feed, sleep. Um, so it's new for me to just have have this one, you know, this one. Th- you know, amazing thing that just takes all of my focus, my attention, <laughs> my love, just everything. Um, and it's it's simultaneously the most rewarding and most exhausting <laughs> period of my life, for sure. It's it's one of those things that has to be lived because you, otherwise yeah. you just don't understand. I mean, and I'll tell you, I don't know if you and your wife are planning on having a second, mm. but one is one, two is like three. So, <laughs> yeah. so. So good luck for whatever that is. But yeah, man, you're right. Like, I mean, mine's four, my, my boy turned four months and just like, it's the same thing as he's just, he's either colicky or he's crying yeah. and it's just like, we try everything, but it's like, yeah, man. So you're, you're in for a ride, but congratulations. Is, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I know it's, it's a crazy thing. You know, you get used to it and you feel like you kind of have everything dialed in and then there's a new change. He has a yes. growth spurt. He, uh, you know, he doesn't like this. He likes that. It's, just, it's, it's, it tests you, but it's, it's the like I said, it's the most rewarding thing I've, I've ever done in my life. Yeah, so, man, that's that's terrific. Yeah. That's terrific. So, so I'm reading early on in your life, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you at a young age, you move from your whole family does from California to Buffalo. Yeah, I feel like that would be culture shock. I feel like that would be like a shocking move. Like you couldn't find yeah. a place much different from California <laughs> than Buffalo, New York. I it's feel so like- true. It's so true. So yeah, it was it was a culture shock uh, in in a particular way. So the primary impetus for us moving it was 1994, I believe, and it was uh, the Northridge earthquake had just happened. Yep. And we were in the process of actually moving. We were living in L.A., you know, L.A. proper. And my parents had just gotten a house in Northridge. We were literally in between houses. And we were staying with my mom's family. My mom's originally from Buffalo right. when the earthquake happened. And the house that we were going to move into was completely destroyed. And at the same time, coincidentally, it had nothing to do with it. My dad 
who was a screenwriter at the time was writing for a series and the series got canceled. So we had no house, my dad had no job. And uh, we were already in Buffalo with my mom's family. And so my parents just kind of said, we have a, we have a young baby. I was two, I was two and a half, I think at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, no income stream and there's no way we can make this work in LA. They were also really freaked out about the earthquake. We said, let's stay in Buffalo for a little while while we get back on our feet. Uh, Fast forward, uh, I lived there until I grew up there. I lived there until I was 18 years old. I always loved LA though. We would yeah. go back once a year. We had family and friends. So I always felt like kind of a, an honorary Angelino, even though I didn't really grow up here. Uh, it's, it was always a big part of my life. So the funny thing, I w- ended up going to college in New York City and I met uh, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, there and it turns out she's from LA, and so, you know, by by virtue of us meeting and also what I wanted to do for a living, LA was kind of a perfect destination. So now but, I've, I've and that was back. Columbia, right? Trey, that was Columbia, yes. right? Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I went to Columbia and uh, moved from New York out here. My parents ended up doing the same. So we, we kind of made this full circle move from LA to New York and then back to LA. Uh, so, so, so that's kind of just a, you know, funny turn of events. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned your dad was a screenwriter. I think mom was a actor and producer. Is that correct? Yeah. Wow. You've done your homework. So, so <laughs> did they, did they make a, like, did, were they like, did they make a living from this or was this something they were trying to get into at the time? Yeah, you know, it's I know I was so little at the time. I think it went, I think it, it kind of went in and out. There were periods where they made a living at it, and then periods yeah. where it were tough, where it was tougher. Um, I think it also one thing that I've learned: uh, there's making a living for yourself, there's making a living for yourself and your spouse, and then there's making a living when you have when you have a baby. Yeah, and I think when yeah. when I came, it it changed things for sure, and. I think that's also what prompted the move is just a kind of general lifestyle change. Uh, my dad started his own business that was totally unrelated to the entertainment industry, which was honestly probably the healthiest thing <laughs> he yeah. could have ever done. And uh, it was, it was, I, I think a nice thing for me to grow up in a smaller city away from, away from the trappings of, of LA and the entertainment industry, especially at that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, does one ever get used to the snow in Buffalo? Does one ever accept no. that? <laughs> no, 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 no. That it. There is no. There is no way in life. There's no many. There's no layers that you can wear that make negative five degrees with a negative <laughs> twenty wind chill feel okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you, I mean, you forget it too, because yeah. in the summer it gets hot. That's the thing that people don't realize about about the east coast is everybody talks about the winters or you yeah. know, or the, or the mid buffalo is really midwest honestly it's both location and culturally it's more midwestern yeah. uh, they talk about the cold winters but then you get two weeks of spring and then you get 98 degree summers so all summer you're praying for winter to come you've already forgotten about how terrible it is and then winter comes <laughs> and yeah. then you're praying for summer because you forgot how humid it was and so it's just this kind of cycle from hot cold hot cold and so it's a very, uh, it was a very indoor lifestyle, uh, which is one thing I appreciate about 
about being out here. In the winter, you were always inside, afraid of the cold, and then in the summer, you were inside with the air conditioning. So being in LA, where it's kind of always hovering between you know 70 and 80 and dry, is uh, is good for the vitamin D. I don't need yeah. to take a vitamin D supplement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I live in Massachusetts, so I get, okay. I get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I feel like our winters lately, last ten, five, ten years, haven't been as bad as I remember them being growing up. I, I feel like it's no, no, call no it whatever you will. It's definitely changed a lot. I mean, you can track in, in with Buffalo. You can track the the average temperature coming from the seventies to now uh, in the winter. It's just yeah. a straight line up. The thing you'll still get the freak snowstorms though, which actually the the warm temperature in the winter can actually make the snowstorms more dangerous. One thing that happened when I was in high school, we had this crazy blizzard that happened in October and it had been like 50, 60 degrees prior. All the leaves were still on the trees. I don't even know if they had changed. And then we had a blizzard completely out of nowhere, like six, eight feet of snow. Wow. And because there were leaves on the trees, all the trees piled up with snow and the trees came down. And so it it caused, it was a terrible, terrible thing. There was power outages for like 10 days Ours was the only house with power, so the whole family was staying there. It was kind of like a like a refugee camp. Yeah, <laughs> um, like a retreat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, so yeah, it's caused problems. A similar thing happened this past winter. There was a terrible blizzard uh, that came out of nowhere in December. It was around Christmas, New Year's, and uh, and it was the same thing. It can it, it had been 50, 60 degrees, so no one was ready for it. And then all of a sudden, you get eight feet of snow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, speaking of you as a kid, one of the things that I read um, growing up, you were l- like me. I mean, I love that that James Horner mm-hmm. Braveheart soundtrack. I yeah. mean, that is so. But like, I I feel like I miss him. Like, I feel like uh, it was a huge loss because, first of all, I hate those stupid little planes. I hate them. Oh all. God, yeah. I know. You know. Why do they um, do it? Why do they do it? Um, but like, you know, he had Titanic. Uh. He had a beautiful mind, field of dreams, and. Braveheart, so many more, and what oh, yeah. what a loss! It's almost been. Can you believe trade? It's almost been ten years. It was fifteen. I know. So like a couple of years I know because it was my. I remember vividly because I it was my first internship out in L.A. Actually, I was in grad school in New York, and I was spending the summer in L.A. And it was my first time working in in film music, and it was just such an exciting time. And bam, that happened out of the blue. And he, more than anyone, is is probably my biggest artistic influence because my love of film and my love of music really coalesced with him. Mm. Uh, he, in my opinion of, of the, of the composers of the last century, he's the greatest storyteller of yeah. them all. Um, there are some amazing musical talents out there and he, he was a, a musical giant, but his, he really shone as, as a storyteller and I get all my favorite films growing up had his scores. And my first, my first album that I ever had was, uh, was a CD of Braveheart. And that yeah. was the first music I ever listened to as a kid. I remember when my dad gave it to me and, uh, when I would, when I would go, uh, when I would go on walks with them, I would listen to it. And it was, so it, it was his music and, and his contribution to film, uh, left an, an unbelievable impression on me. So losing him, especially uh, having come out here and feeling fresh. I wanted to meet him. I wanted to, you know, one day maybe pick his brain or work for him or something. And it, it was just, it, was, it felt like such a loss. It felt like a, a friend or family member. 
Yeah, James Horner, su- supremely talented. Um, yeah, big loss there. Um, you, you know, um, how far between until you hook up with Trevor Morris, who's mm-hmm. who, that's your kind of would you say it's your first big break? Would you say it that way? Yeah, oh, easily. Yeah, it, so it was very quick. It was one of those classic stories of just being in the right place at the right time. So, like I said, I, I did an internship uh, that summer of 2015. Uh, with Gary Scheiman, who is uh, an amazing video game composer. Mm-hmm. He's, he's known especially from the Bioshock series. And uh, that was just my first kind of dipping my toe in the water of the industry, you know, s- s- learning about the process, the people, the technology. And then I moved out here uh, officially in January of 2016. I think I moved here like New Year's Day, maybe, or New Year's Eve. And... Uh, and I had an internship with Joe Trapanese, uh, who is an amazing guy. He was he was terrific. I, I interned with him for four weeks, six weeks, something like that. And um, it was an unpaid internship. And I basically moved out here, was living off my savings account, paying rent for my savings account with no income. And it was basically one of those things where I wanted to kind of give it two, three months, see if I could find a paying gig. And then if not, uh, get, a, get a job uh, doing something else out here while I try to get scoring work. Well, I think it was February. I moved out here in January. I think it was early February. I got a call from Gary saying that uh, there was a composer who, an anonymous composer who was looking for an assistant. And these were the, uh, these were the requirements. These were the hours. This is the, this was the process. Are you interested? And I had no idea who it was. Uh, all I knew was they were involved in film and TV. So, you know, it could be, it could be anybody. Right. And uh, when I found out it was Trevor, I was just, I was, I was blown away. I was starstruck. You know, I, I loved his scores to Tudors and Borgias and he, he too is a really amazing storyteller. So, so I was really nervous. I thought there was no way that I was going to get it. I had only hmm. been there for a month and a half. All I had under my belt was an, an internship. Uh, but I interviewed and apparently the, it clicked or we clicked and, uh, you know, I ended up working for him on staff for almost two years, one year as his kind of tech assistant and then another six months to a year as an, as a, an in-house writer. That's and a lot yeah, that's, oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine, um, you know, looking at your filmography, it's pretty impressive. Um, foundation um fear the walking dead uh ghost writer ozark vikings um which one of those do you think is um would you would you consider your first i'm not your first but uh, uh, the major break for you i mean we haven't get to castlevania yet yeah well it's it might be a good segue then i think so it's kind of two simultaneously i don't know if i'd say this one was my big break uh but it was the first real learning process, and that was Vikings. Uh, yeah. Vikings, Trevor was already in the middle of when I started uh, when I started working for him. He was on season four, I believe, and uh, so so that was that was ongoing when I started, and that was really how I got my feet wet. I think the first cue that I ever helped him with was a Vikings cue. Yeah, uh, I think it was like 45 seconds. I probably spent six hours on it. <laughs> Did way more than was necessary. And yeah. he's probably like, dude, it just it just needs a pad. Come on. <laughs> um, so so that was really how I got my feet wet. 
And then I think in terms of big break, uh, I still sometimes feel like I'm waiting for my big break. <laughs> but, yeah. but, in, but in that context, it would be Castlevania because uh, that came in tw- right at the beginning of 2017. I think January 2017, we started working on it. And that was the first project where Trevor really trusted me in more of a creative role. I had right. just moved over from tech assistant over to being an in-house writer. Uh, and he was really busy at the time and needed help and brought me on kind of as a co-producer and writing some additional cues. And it was the first time, like I said, he really trusted me as a writer and not just as an assistant. And yeah. so, and it, and it was cool because that show went for four seasons. I grew alongside it. And, and I, I think I learned the most about the hands-on process of being a film composer from working with him on those four seasons. Yeah, in Castlevania, for those you know um, new to this, is is, mm-hmm. is the sequel correct? It is the it is the sequel to the original. Is that yeah? Is that a fair? The, so you mean uh, Castlevania Nocturne? Yes. 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 So it so it's it's a sequel uh, in the sense that it's from the same universe and it's in the future from the from the original, but it's three hundred plus years in the future and it's based on the descendants of the characters in the original Castlevania. Yeah. So it's not a direct sequel, but, uh, but it is, but it is, uh, sequentially a sequel. Is, sequentially uh, a sequel. That's, no. uh, on your, on your end, is, is there any difference in, in, in scoring something that's animated versus, I mean, you've done video game too, I think. Yes. Um, so, so if yes. you compare, so if you hold them up to, if you hold up like a video game scoring mm-hmm. of animation, scoring, you know, a series, a movie, whatever, um, is, is it a different approach or is it the same approach? Because it is just telling a story, just different ways. Yeah. So my normal answer uh, about animation would be that, yes, it's a different process. And yeah. typically it's because, because the animation is, is two dimensional. Uh, I think the score sometimes has to work a little bit harder. It yeah. has to amplify the drama in a way that you're not getting from a real actor and uh, you know, seeing a real person's face. Now, I actually would not say that's the case here. Mm-hmm. I think the animation in the Castlevania universe, and I think Nocturne especially is, is, is an even uh, higher level than the original. The animation is so good and the coloring and, and the, the way the characters are drawn is so good that I would say process wise, there is no difference from scoring a, a film or a TV show. Um, Comparing it to games, interestingly, uh, the cool thing about music for games is because because so much time is spent uh, without dialogue. Now, I'm leaving out cinematics. The process of scoring a cinematic for a game is very similar to the process of scoring a scene. But if you're just talking about scoring gameplay, the music itself has to really stand out because you're hearing this music on loop, sometimes for hours and hours. And there's not necessarily anything going on the screen in terms of drama. It's just a character interacting with the world and uh, and you know and participating in, in the world of the game. So the music sometimes has to be a little more amplified than music in film or television. Now, I, I believe for this series that Netflix and the production team really wanted to highlight that, especially since it's based on a game. They really wanted the music to stand out in a way that we might not see in film and TV, which was which was cool uh, for me and Trevor because sometimes being uh, TV composers, our job is to sit back and support the drama. 
which is which is great. At the end of the day, we're storytellers, and that's what we're brought to do. We're brought to work with uh, the actors and the directors and showrunners to try to create something, and and we know we're just a small part. Uh, but the cool thing about Nocturne was everybody was very emphatic from the beginning, saying this score is going to be bold. It it's going to stand out, and we want to hear it. Right. Uh, which which was which was cool. It's not every day we get that request. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what is it? Are they four episodes deep into it? I think. Am I? Is my math right on that? Uh, Nocturne. 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 Yeah. Uh, no, the premiere of Nocturne is the twenty eighth. What I was watching in Castlevania today it had it had to be the, the the one before Nocturne. Yeah, it was probably the original. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, yeah, so the original Castlevania uh, ran for four seasons. Mm-hmm. The first season was made up of four episodes, and then I believe That's the second, it. the second through fourth had uh, the second through fourth had eight episodes each but um yes but there's about i'm trying to think of when see i forget exactly when season four of castlevania aired but we're at least we at least have a few years in between have you uh, seen the final copy of nocturne yes yes uh, I have. Well, what can people expect i think so i would say uh two things primarily one I think fans of the games are going to be very, very satisfied. I, yeah. grew up, I, I grew up, I played the games as a kid. I was never a fanatical gamer, but I loved the Castlevania games. And it was kind of fun. It was fun to return to them. And I yeah. started kind of playing them for fun. It was very nostalgic. I'm playing one, one right now, actually. My favorite one is Symphony of the Night. Mm. And, uh, and, and, I think that from a storytelling perspective and from a, a gameplay perspective, it's going to be really fun for fans to see the things they recognize, the new elements, new characters, but also plenty of Easter eggs and all and, and fun stuff to kind of make you remember the, the gameplay. But I will say on the flip side, one thing that's very cool about the series and really special is at this, while it's, it has the typical action, big epic moments, heart pounding sequences, all of the stuff you'd expect from an adaptation of an action game. The the story is actually very elegantly told and it's very grounded and it's ultimately very character based, which is which is nice. And each one of the main characters has a very deep backstory and they bring to it a whole history, experiences, uh, trauma in some cases, and it really adds a depth uh, to the to, to the story that's not necessarily there in the games. So I see that less as an adaptation and more as an evolution. Yeah. So the main character Richter is a fan favorite from the games, and we all know him as Richter, the action hero. Right. Uh, we know we get a little bit of a window into his life, but mainly we just know him as the as the character from the games. But now in the show, we get to know him as a person. And that right. applies to, to several other characters that, that fans will remember from the games. So you kind of get a feeling like you're really meeting him for the first time, which is special, uh, both for fans of the games and people who might be coming to it for the first time. Yeah, that's that, and like you said, that's a perfect blend, right? You got the nostalgia, mm. plus you have the the evolution of this this wonderful, you know, iconic um, game slash story. Um, so, so yeah, man, I'm looking forward to it. Let me ask you this before I let mm-hmm. you go: uh, sure. what else is on the horizon for you? Um, 
anything non-Castlevania related that you wanted to get out there or even the social media? I have your website on the screen. Is there anything else you wanted to throw out there, Trey? Yeah, so no. So I'm working on something right now that is very cool and very exciting, but I still can't talk about it. Gotcha. Um, it's still probably a year out. Yep. Uh, but once I can, I'll, I'll be posting about it and it'll, and it'll be on my website. Excellent. Trey, uh, thank you so much for this. I, I enjoy talking to you. And uh, yeah, I mean, congratulations on your child. Thank you. Same and, to you. And your success. And yeah, man, um, nothing but happy um, wishes and, and all that fun stuff. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was great to chat. Thank you for listening to Derek Thomas and Monday Morning Critic Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can also connect with Monday Morning Critic on Instagram and Facebook, MDM Critic on Twitter, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. All episodes available, www.mmcpodcast.com.